You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to, that, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach." And have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, son of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. So we're looking at two scenes here. We're looking at two scenes this morning. We're looking at the crowds and the cult. The crowds and the cult, though. Mark begins by telling us that Jesus withdrew with his disciples for a really good reason. If you back up to verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So Jesus knew his time was short, and it wasn't, it wasn't time for him to be arrested yet. He was on a mission. He withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. Mark says this again in verse 8. The great, this great crowd heard all that Jesus was doing, and they came to him. So we don't know how many uh, people were in the crowd. This could also be translated a vast multitude. Sounds like a lot of people. So uh, Jesus was extremely popular. And I think it's interesting that all these people, they show up from everywhere, and this is an unplanned event. So for those of you with organizational giftings and those of you that coordinate, this is a nightmare for you, right? This is a nightmare. This goes against your OCD. No flyers passed out, nor, no door hangers, nothing on social media, no planning. They just show up, all because they heard that all that Jesus was doing. Uh, word had traveled quickly and far. So the question is, what was Jesus doing? What was he doing uh, that that attracted all these people? Well, leading up to this point, he's been healing all who were sick with various diseases, casting out demons. He's healed a leper, a paralytic, and he's healed a man with a withered hand. 
Mark describes those who had been observing all this as saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus has put his power on display. And how can you not talk about that? Like, like they watched Jesus cast a demon out of somebody? Like, if I were there, and, you know, and I don't know who Jesus is, I'm going to be talking about that. Like, I saw a guy cast a demon out of somebody. Like, like no one has that kind of authority. Or I saw him heal a man with a withered hand. That's not normal, okay? Now, I don't know who this guy is, but I want to know more. Now, and, and you know, it's not like they could say, you know, I bet it was prosthetic, you know? Like, no, they didn't have that technology back then. So you have all these people talking about Jesus spreading his fame, and his popularity has now grown to celebrity status. Many were following Jesus, but who were these people? Well, in verse 10, he says, for he had healed Many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So this crowd, uh, this was a crowd of suffering, sick people. And it's not like they could just take antibiotics and be good in five days or go have that surgery to have that thing removed. Like, no, these people were hopeless. They were hopeless until now. Until now, Jesus comes along, and now these guys have hope. This guy heals people. This guy restores lives. He performs miracles. Jesus gives hope. Like, no wonder they followed him. Wouldn't you follow Jesus if he were your only hope of being cured? Like, if you were ill and there was no cure, you would follow Jesus. You would travel hundreds of miles or fly across the globe if it meant you could be healed. If you had a child who was terminally ill, you would do everything you could to get to Jesus to heal your child. These people are, are desperate for Jesus. He is their only hope. Now, Mark describes this scene in verse 9. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Okay, this scene is a, a bit chaotic because there are people pushing one another out of the way to get to Jesus. Now, when I read verses 9 and 10, the first thing that came to mind was Black Friday. Like, you have all these people on Black Friday, right, you know, who are committed not only to saving money, but to running others over. And, 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 and no wonder Jesus tells the disciples to get the boat ready. Like, he's not into this Black Friday thing. So Mark says, Jesus healed many anyway. Okay? The other crowd that was present is found in verses 11 and 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So, so this great crowd was not only made up of those with diseases, but those who had demons. In James chapter 2, it tells us that demons are terrified at the presence of Jesus. You say you have faith, or you believe there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Mark says... They also fall down before Jesus when they cried out, 
you are the son of God, it was their attempt to detour the mission of Jesus. See, so this wouldn't be the first time, right? You guys have been going through Mark and chapter one. They try to do the same thing. It says this in verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him? Jesus silenced the demons because it wasn't his time to announce, it wasn't time to announce who he was yet. He had a mission to accomplish. Now, another reason Jesus didn't want his identity revealed at this point is because there was a lot of misconceptions about who the Messiah was. There was this expectation for the Messiah to be a political leader who would overthrow Rome. He would be king of the nation of Israel. So if Jesus were to announce that he were the Messiah, they would have this kind of expectation. Jesus knew why he was sent. He was sent to preach the gospel and to make disciples. He knew he would die but he first needed to fulfill his mission. So this brings us to our second scene, and that is the called. So we're going from the crowds to the called. Verse 13 says, and he went up on a mountain. This is a change of scenery here. He goes from the synagogue to the escape boat, and now he's headed up a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And, and they came to him. Luke's, Luke's account's a little... Uh, little different. It says Jesus went into the mountain to pray and continued to pray all night before he called the disciples. So this is a big moment right here in Mark's gospel. Jesus calls his disciples, and this isn't an open invitation to the masses. No, this is not an opportunity to try out for the team. Mm -mm. Jesus personally picked his disciples, and he appointed 12, also, whom he also named apostles. It's tempting when reading this verse to think through the lens of, a, of an American entrepreneur. What do I mean by that? Well, you can ask the question, well, what was Jesus really doing in the mountain? Like, was he really praying or did he bring out the whiteboard and was he trying to figure out who would fit into the pipelines of his system. Or maybe, I know what he did, maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus gave the disciples the Meyer Briggs evaluation. And he was looking at the results to see how they would fit into the vision and the mission. Oh, maybe it wasn't the Meyer Briggs. <laughs> maybe he gave them the Enneagram. Maybe he was trying to figure out what number they were to better understand them. Oh, no, no, I know what it was. He gave them strength finders to see what their top five strengths were so that he could leverage each strength to build this thing he would call the church. Now, for the record, 
There might be some of you that's kind of like guarded when I said that because you're thinking, man, I like that stuff. What are you talking about? I am not anti any of those things. I think it's fun to learn about yourself. I've taken all of those evaluations and more. Growing in self-awareness can be a good thing, but growing in your need for Jesus is way, way better. Jesus did not choose you because of your so-called strengths. He chose you because you were weak. He, the Bible says he chose the foolish to confound the wise. He has a true and better identity for you than any evaluation. Mind you, now, mind you, this, this, when Jesus chooses the 12, this is a strategy on Jesus' part to change the world. Jesus appointed 12. He didn't look at these guys and say, you know what? You guys are the guys. You have what it takes. You have the giftings I'm looking for. No, no, Jesus doesn't choose like an entrepreneur. Have you seen the, guy, the guys God has chosen in the Bible? Like Moses stuttered, he was a murderer and a fugitive. David's armor didn't fit. He, was also, he also had an affair, was a murderer and abused power. Timothy had stomach issues. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. The only training Amos had was farming. Jacob was a liar. Paul was a persecutor and a murderer. Jonah ran from God's will. Gideon and Thomas both doubted God. Jeremiah struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was too loud. Martha was a worrier. Noah got drunk. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. Sarah laughed at the prophetic word of God as though it could never be. Peter denied Jesus three times, said dumb things that proved he was, and proved he was hood by cutting off a soldier's ear. That's hood where I come from. And... and and the disciples, the, the disciples fell asleep. Need I say more? Okay, so when looking at the guys Jesus chose, it doesn't seem like a very smart decision, okay? This is not the dream team. This is an interesting group of guys. You've got fishermen, a tax collector, the Sons of Thunder that sounds like a WWE tag team, and you have Judas Iscariot who betrays Jesus for some money, right? The, on paper, this is not the A team. They're more like the guys you chose last to be on your basketball team. I was me in junior high. But thank God for his grace, right? Thank God for his grace. The good news is that Jesus does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. Mark says Jesus appointed the 12. And the, the word for appointed means to make. So what was Jesus making out of these guys? Well, he was making a, a new people. He was making disciples. Disciples. There are two reasons Jesus chose his disciples. Number one is that they might be with him. And number two, that they would be sent. Verses 14 and 15. Now, if you consider yourself a believer or a disciple this morning, this passage should fill your heart with gospel gratitude. We should be thrilled at this scene because ultimately, this scene has led to your conversion. You should be saying, praise God right now. Thank God for the choosing of these ordinary men. The call to follow Jesus 
is to be with him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be with Jesus? The call to be with Jesus is to be his disciple. Now, forgive me if I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I'm sure I am, but I'm going to assume that I'm not. So a disciple is one who is called into a relationship with Jesus. The word disciple refers to the pupil of his teacher. Therefore, a disciple is someone who is a learner, someone who says, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Lord, what would you have me learn? A disciple is someone who is teachable. You know, they're not that person that says, I know. Yeah, I I know. No, no, that is not a disciple. That's not the attitude of a disciple. A disciple is, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Okay, you you want me to do what? All right, I'm going to trust you. And so a disciple is someone who is teachable. They're always learning, discovering, and, and growing in who Jesus is. A disciple is someone who grows in the Word through reading, studying, reflecting, memorizing, prayer, silence, solitude, confession of sin, repentance, worship, giving, submitting to the proclamation of God's Word, fellowship, breaking bread, living life in community with one another, serving one another, evangelism, and making disciples. And as we grow in our relationship with God, our lives will look more like Jesus, which means our lives will look radically different from the world. When we are with Jesus, we bring glory to God by, by growing um, as disciples. So when Jesus saves us, we become what the Bible describes as a new creation. We're given a new identity with new affections. And one of the changes that occurs in our lives is that we want God. Like, like we want God now. It, it doesn't matter your background, your story, or your diagnosis. One of the signs that you've been born again is that you want God. Like you needed God, but now you want him. And so to grow as a disciple is to want God more and more. And it's not only wanting God, but it's pursuing him, following him, chasing him, loving him. And as a result, we begin to see life differently. The way we view sin, the way we see ourselves, the way we view others, the way we dream, the way we see our money, and the way we define success, and the way we see the future will look different. This comes from a place of being with Jesus. Your time spent with Jesus is vital to the mission. It's vital to the mission. If you are not abiding in Christ, you will not bear lasting fruit. Mission and true lasting ministry flows from intimacy with Jesus. Your time with Jesus is your training for the mission. Did you know that? This brings us to the second reason Jesus chose me and you that we preach and have authority over demons. Now, you're thinking, well, that excludes me. I'm not a preacher. I'm not called into pastoral ministry. 
This translates into the mission of the church. Okay, so this includes you. This includes every one of you. Jesus has given us a mission, and in light of his authority, we are to go. We are to go. He has all authority. Jesus has all authority. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He has given us a great responsibility. The great commission is not the great suggestion. If, if you are listening to this word this morning, you have a responsibility to obey. As you go, you go with the gospel. Now think of the people in your spheres of influence for a minute, the, like the people you work with, the people at your school, your, your gym, the people at the coffee shop you hang out at. Think of the people you see on a weekly or a daily basis. Think of the people that don't know Jesus. Now, I want you to think of this. You got that person in your head, those people You got that image? Maybe the people you're not really wanting to see tomorrow morning, even those people, Jesus loves those people. He loves those people. He loves the people in your spheres of influence. Jesus loves them so much that he sent you to make him known to them. God continues to spread his love in the world through you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? As we go, we go with urgency to make Christ known. As important as it is to be with Jesus, to grow in the word, prayer, church life, scripture memory, community groups, it's not to stop there. As good as life together is, it's not meant to stop with us. You know what should stop with us? The only thing that should stop with us is, are those chain letters you get on Facebook Messenger. Uh, send this to 10 people in your contacts, and, and you will be blessed. Hope I get one back. Sure not. Blessing ends here, buddy. Am I preaching the truth this morning? (laughs) Don't send me one either. (laughs) Making disciples is the mission of the church. And if we do one thing right, if we do anything until our death, may it be this. If we do one thing well as a church, may it be this. Do you know that there is a danger in coming into this place every Sunday? And I'm not talking about like some secret you guys don't know, like if there's like mold growing. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking there is a legitimate danger in coming into an environment like this because like you, I'm a fan of information. Uh, the danger of being in a setting like this is we can get excited. We, we can receive a good word. The spirit can convict us of sin. Or speak encouragement to our hearts. We might even weep down here when it's all over with. But what do we do with that? What, what do we do with what's been given to us? You, you're accountable for that. 
I'm accountable for that. The danger is when it ends with us. That's the danger. Jesus said, oh, make disciples. How do we do that? How How do we make disciples? Jesus tells us to go, as in go with the gospel. This should give us a sense of urgency. He also tells us to baptize. This means baptism is part of making disciples. Baptism implies that we are leading others to Christ with the gospel. It it doesn't save you. It is an outward sign of your new identity in Christ. It is your gospel proclamation, your preaching that you have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you that live, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise be to God. Now, Don't underestimate the importance of water baptism. It is vital. It is part of discipleship. The primary way we make disciples is through teaching. This is most of discipleship. This means everything you are learning from God's word, prayer, confession of sin, repentance, submitting your will to Jesus' lordship, worship, evangelism, and loving one another. We are to teach to others so that they might make Christ known. Are you making disciples? I'm asking you, I'm not, oh, I'm not asking you if you're, like, if you're in fellowship with other believers. I'm asking you, are you reproducing yourself? Are you introducing others to Christ? Are you intentionally praying with someone on a regular basis? Are you intentionally memorizing the word of the living God with another person? Scripture memory is so important. So important. It's a spiritual discipline that that must be cultivated because we don't naturally just wake up and say, you know, I think I'm going to memorize a few verses today. Like, we just don't do that. It's got to be cultivated. And I want to say this. Maybe this is a, a word for somebody or a few of you in this room. Some of you are captive to the enemy's lies this morning. You're, you're captive. You're enslaved. Some of you are flirting with sin. You're letting your mind just roam. And you think it's okay because you're managing it because no one else can see what you see. Are you armed with the word of God? Are you filling your mind with scripture? Like, this is how we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is our weapon. This is the way we meditate on truth day and night. Memorize the word of God with someone. Making disciples involves evangelism. You know, the gospel, the message, the good news you heard that Jesus came to save sinners, of which you are the chief, right? And and so am I. Christ came, lived a sinless life, died the death we should have died in our place, took our sins upon him. So that in exchange, those of us who would trust in him would receive his perfect righteous record. Praise be to God for that. Praise be to God. Making disciples involves evangelism. Romans 10 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's in the Bible. Evangelism's in the Bible. Like This means at some point you're going to have to have that conversation with that person. Christian, you've been sent. You believe that? You believe you've been sent this morning? There's a lot of joy in leading others to Christ. So much joy. But the mission of the church isn't only to lead others to Christ, but to make disciples. Just as when a baby's born, right? You don't, you don't just celebrate the fact that a baby is born and then be like, well, good luck with that growing up thing. You know, like you don't walk away like you cultivate growth in that baby. You nurture, clothe, care for that baby, right? And then as they grow to be a child, then you teach that child other things like, hey, how to clothe yourself, how to bathe yourself, how to tie your own shoes. Why? Because one day, well, well, because obviously we don't want them to rely on us for the rest of their lives, but because one day they're going to reproduce themselves. And so it is. So it is with making disciples. Disciples are not born. Disciples are made. If you had an opportunity to lead someone to Christ and they said, uh, this is awesome. <laughs> what now? Like, what would be your response? Like, well, you should come to our church. Like, we meet at 1030. Reality. Great. What else? Um, we have pre-service prayer. Oh, I don't feel comfortable with praying <laughs> with other people yet. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Uh, can you teach me the Bible? Where do I start reading the Bible? What translation do I start with? Um, can you explain the gospel to me more? Well, you see the substitutionary atonement. Well, I don't speak that language. Can you break it down in hood? Because I speak hood. Like, what does that mean? Like, would you be equipped to make disciples? Are you prepared to teach others? Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So surely Jesus has taught you something and is teaching you something right now. Are you prepared to teach others? See, the reality is we can't teach others the Bible or to pray if we don't know ourselves. You exist to know God and to make him known. You exist to know God and to make him known. The word of God is not intended to stop with you. It's meant to flow through you. Only chain letters are meant to stop with you. Amen? You don't have to be a, a, a pastor, ministry leader, go to seminary to make disciples, but you do need to be with Jesus. You do need to be with Jesus. And the more I think about discipleship, it's, it's really a, a genius idea when you think about it on Jesus's part. Like, he tells us to go make disciples. Well, we can't do that unless we're first in relationship with him. We need to be growing in Christ. And if we are growing, then we are going. And then when we go, we go with the gospel and the intention of bringing others to Christ. And then when others come to Christ, we in turn cultivate growth in their lives so that they will bear fruit. And then the process keeps going and we're satisfied in God and God is glorified in us. And it's also God's way of keeping us close to him. It's kind of like this whole thing was planned. 
So maybe, just maybe, you're feeling this morning like, well, I don't know. I just kind of feel like my walk with God is going nowhere. Kind of feel stagnant, kind of feel dry, kind of feel like I'm in a wilderness. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you're not discipling anyone. I could be wrong. I'm just guessing. I'm guessing that you're not discipling anyone. If you feel as though you hit the ceiling with God, obey this great command. Go. Make disciples. Make much of Jesus for your joy and his glory. Jesus also gives us, the church, a goal. He gives us a goal, and the goal of mission is the nations. Jesus said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's the goal. So when we hear the word nations, most of the time we think of um, language, race, a place we'd like to go visit, maybe a vacation. But when you hear the word nations, I want you to think about it differently. I want you to think of unreached people groups. And that doesn't mean, or that doesn't just mean people who are not saved. Unreached people groups are people who have not heard the gospel. Why? Well, because there are no Christians, because there's no church, and there is no Bible in their language. And more than likely, it's because it's illegal to preach the gospel there, and persecution is heavy. So when you hear the word nations from now on, I want you to think about that. Now, if you're thinking, well, that, this part of the sermon doesn't apply to me. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not a, a missionary. I'm not called to the nations. Check that one off. Yes, it does. You know why? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. What does that mean? It means he loves the nations. He loves the nations. We have a responsibility to go to the nations. Some are sent and some are the senders. And if your heart doesn't beat for the nations this morning, you're just thinking local missionary, I challenge you, exhort you to pray for the nations. Pray for the nations. May God change your mind and your heart. And I, I want to close with this. Maybe the, maybe the idea of discipling someone is like hiking half dome to you and you don't even hike. And if that's you, I have good news for you today because Jesus has given us the hope of mission. And that's found in Matthew 8, 20, 20, uh, 28, verse 20. It says, Jesus said, I am with you always. You're like, you're not going to make disciples on your own. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. The, the words, I am with you, have been the most comforting, hopeful, and empowering words in my life. And this is a true story. I went through a season where I uh, had panic attacks and anxiety for three years straight every day. And it didn't turn off. If you, if you uh, 
have experienced a panic attack or anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. Three years straight every day. And what got me through that was those words. I am with you. I am with you is, are the words that comforted me. I am with you overrides the voice of depression that says, Jesus left you. No one cares. Life would be better without you in it. He promised he would never leave you or forsake you. Whether you feel distant from God this morning or not worthy to make disciples, Jesus is with you always. So, final words. Who do you identify with this morning? The crowds who are following Jesus for other reasons other than him? Or the called? Who is Jesus to you? Are you drawn to him because of what he can do for you or, or because of what he has done for you? Let's pray.